we've entitled it Overcome. And in light of all the realities going on in our world, we thought we would take and look at how the Advent season gives us a picture. Romans 12, 21 is what it's going to be based on. It's where Paul said, overcome evil with good. And we're going to look at how God's plan to overcome evil has never been to legislate or educate. You're never going to legislate your way out of it or educate your way out of evil. Jesus had another plan to come, and that was he was going to bring a kingdom of goodness and to deal with human hearts one by one, and eventually good, not evil, is going to get the last word. Hallelujah to that, right? And the Advent season gives us a picture of how Jesus' hope and love and peace and joy help overcome the hate and the fear and the despair and the anxiety that are just so dominant in our world today. And so I want to encourage you now to begin to pray about who God might have you extend a hand to and invite to be a part of our Advent season. Starting December 3rd, all the way through our Christmas Eve gathering, we're gonna be focusing on overcoming evil with good and looking how Jesus is our picture of the true overcome and his light has come into the darkness. We have reason to hope. Um, and we're gonna talk very candidly about these realities in our world. And I think it'll be a great series just to invite someone who maybe isn't super connected to church or maybe you just know is struggling on some of those realities and just reach out. We're gonna push some information out to you in your inboxes which will make it an easy electronic invite. Kind of, we'll call it an evite. So we'll be pushing that out to you and it'll be tied to the Overcome series and I wanna encourage you to invite some friends and family around that. December 24th is a Sunday this year. Can you believe it? Christmas Eve is on Sunday. So we get two opportunities as a body to gather on that day. So we're gonna have our normal 10 a.m. worship service on Christmas Eve. We're gonna have a family worship service. We're gonna have the kids involved. The kids are gonna be singing some songs, maybe, and we'll have some kids doing some scripture. We don't know, we're working it out still. The kids are gonna be integrated and it's because they're gonna be a part of worshiping with us, 10 a.m. And then we're gonna come back together Christmas Eve at 6 p.m. And those of you who are longtime Eagle folks, more of our traditional Christmas Eve service will end in candlelight will be the 6 p.m. service. Are you with me? So we got a 10 a.m. and a 6 p.m. It'll be like old school church. We're gonna do Sunday morning and Sunday night. We throw in a Wednesday night and we're just back to the old days, right? So it'll be good. I trust you'll be praying and looking forward to Advent and anchoring ourselves in Jesus, our overcomer. Open up your Bibles, Exodus chapter 13. We're in our journey with this series on the life of Moses and pull out your message notes or fire up your app and open up to the message section there. Napoleon Bonaparte, those of you students, you study quite a lot about Napoleon when you hit the 1700s, the latter 1700s, a well-known French military leader. Napoleon said this, there's a difference between regular courage and two o'clock in the morning courage. Napoleon said, quote, the rarest attribute among generals is two o'clock in the morning courage. The rarest attribute among generals is 2 a.m. courage. Well, we're at the part of the story right now with Moses and the Israelites where they're gonna need a healthy dose of two o'clock in the morning courage. Because you remember where we left them off last week? We looked at the 10 rounds of plagues, right? to loosen Pharaoh's grip over the captives in Egypt. And he was loosening up the grip through 10 rounds of one plague after another, gonna pry open our hands. And we talked about how God still, right, he still uses plagues in our lives to get us to loosen the grip on some things, release control, surrender, 
And Pharaoh eventually, after the Passover and the plague of the firstborn, he eventually says, that's all right, go, leave, get out of here. And so approximately a million Israelites, men, women, and children, begin a late night exodus out of the land of Egypt. And that would be the breakthrough point, right? They're hallelujah, this is amazing. They've been waiting, they've been praying 400 years. And the last several years, they've been crying out to God for a breakthrough, and he brought it. And so today, we're gonna look at how God's way isn't always the shortest way. Anybody found that out yet? God's way, as untitled this morning, is the long and winding way. The long and winding way. So here's where we pick it up in the story, Exodus 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, you might want to underline this next section of your Bibles, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Verse 18, so God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. So a little visual for you this morning. Here's the Philistine way. So you see how Exodus 13 talks about, well, God didn't lead them on the shortest route. This would be the most efficient route. This would be the quickest route, the most direct route, a 200-mile trade route, about a three-week journey along the Mediterranean shore there to get them from Egypt back to the promised land, the land of Canaan. Remember, that's where their long-term home is. Their long-term home is not Egypt. He promised at some point he would get them home. And so they immediately think Pharaoh's released the grip. They're thinking orange line. We're going straight shot. Orange line, 200-mile trade route right up that way. What does the text say? God didn't lead them on that route, the Philistine way. Here's a picture of the route he did lead them on. Orange line, our way. Shortest way, efficient way, direct route. Blue line, God's way. Orange line, three-week, 200 miles. Blue line, 40-year, five deserts, 500 miles. And I did the best I could do in researching it. That line is my best (laughs) attempt to represent their actual route. Now, I'm sure I missed a few loops in there somewhere as you try to track through the deserts and how they went from desert to desert. But you do see some loops, and you've often wondered, God, am I going around this mountain again? So obviously, the burning question is, why, Lord, why not the most efficient route? Why not the shortest route? Why not the direct route? Lord, why not the orange line? Anybody been there? That's where we need to go. We got to go to the land flowing with milk. They know the way to the land of Canaan. All the Israelites would have known very well that well-traveled Philistine road. And what does the text say that God said, I didn't lead you that way? What did he say if if you went that way? What was the concern? They might turn around and go back. What does that tell you? That tells you there's some stuff still in their hearts. They're not wholeheartedly in to this plan. They're not wholehearted with trusting in God. They're kind of half-hearted. As long as the circumstances are going reasonably well and aligned with their preferences, they're going to stay faithful. So God's like, I got to, you see, he's got to go below the surface again. He's got to work on some things in their character, in their lives to get them from half-hearted to wholehearted. Do you know where that kind of work takes place? Not on the orange line. The work of half-hearted to wholehearted 
is blue line stuff. As a matter of fact, we're going to read a text now that's 40 years later at the end of the blue line. This is Moses looking back on the meandering, long, winding blue line road. He's looking back on it, and he's giving the people perspective of what God was up to in this. This is Deuteronomy 8. I think I put it in your notes there. Look up here on the screen. Deuteronomy 8, 40 years now later, the end of the blue line, looking back on the long, long winding way. Here's what he says, okay? Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. Now, that's a loaded statement right there. To humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Do you see that? He wanted to know. How am I going to get him for being half-hearted to whole-hearted? I got to go, we got, we got to go on a journey. We got to take some laps around five dry, barren deserts. Whether or not you would keep his commands, another way to interpret it, whether or not you trust in him. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Verse 4, your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. See, that whole 40-year journey took a boatload of 2 o'clock in the morning courage at every turn. Did you catch the vocabulary of the blue line? Did you see, I, I underlined it in my Bible that way, to humble, to test, to know, to teach, to discipline. That's the vocabulary. That's the language of the long and winding way. That's what God's up to far beyond the more efficient direct route. God values things deeper than efficiency and speed. And the sooner we kind of come to grips with this part of the relationship, the, the smoother this relationship with God's going to go. Uh, one theologian wrote a book called The Three Mile Per Hour God. Is that a great title? Three Mile Per Hour God. I have no idea about the theology of the book, but I love the title. Because the average walking pace for a human is three miles an hour. And the essence of the book, as I understand it, is you got to slow down to catch up with God. God's speed. Do you follow that? You gotta slow down. You gotta get in step with the three mile an hour God. Now, what we tend to have a PhD in is we're orange line based. God, we got, we're A, we need to go to B. Here's the direct route, A to B, let's go. Philistine way. And God's like, oh, we'll get to B. But here's the thing with the Lord. He's far more concerned with than just getting us from A to B. He's concerned with who we'll be when we get there. Hence the blue line. So some of you who are, are single and you've been praying and praying, Lord, please bring me someone, a companion that I can share this life with, a spouse at some point. And 25 turns into 30, turns into 35, and you're praying and you're waiting and you're still single. And you're like, Lord, why not the direct route? 
Or others of you in the middle of a, a job situation where you go, the carpet got pulled out from under you at work, another reorg with the company, and you're crying out to God. You're saying, Lord, would you just please, I gotta get from A to B career-wise. And one month turns into six months, turns into a year, and you're in the same cubicle dealing with the same dynamics. Lord, I gotta get from A to B. Or others of you maybe stepped into some type of a, a leading from God, like Moses. Remember, this whole thing started with God in a burning bush, and Moses is doing exactly what God's asked him to do. He's right in step with the Lord. In a moment, we're gonna see how he's following the Lord. We know he's right where God wants him to be. And things are not unfolding on the orange line. It's not the shortest route. It's not the direct route. It's not the speediest route. It's the three-mile-an-hour God who's saying, hey, you guys got to slow down to catch up with me because there's some things he wants to work on here in the heart from half-hearted to whole-hearted fronts from maybe struggling to trust to a full surrender of trust that doesn't happen on the direct route. Speed and efficiency are values in North American culture, not so much high values in the economy of God. God's got much deeper values than speed and efficiency and direct route. And the sooner we can just settle into this reality, I didn't say it was easy, nothing easy about the blue line. We're gonna get into that. Nothing easy on the blue. It's not, I'm gonna take you on the blue line route and that's the easier route. The orange line route's gonna be harder. He said, by the way, the orange line is gonna have challenges. There'll be some armies up there. It's not like it was uh, you know, exempt free from pain, but both lines are gonna have their sense of challenge. So if you've got this vision of going, saying yes to God and then immediately the circumstances of your life get easier, that's not a good vision for following Jesus. When you say yes to Jesus, you're gonna find out that his guarantee is a presence and a companionship with you in the circumstances you find yourself in. Not an exemption from the pain, but a companionship with you in it. So the blue line has some things available to it that do, the orange line does not. In our humanness, we look at the orange A to B. I just gotta get to B. So we're gonna take things into our own hands and we're gonna go our own way. There are some dangers in that. Definitely temptations in that. We've all been there. If you're not there, just keep living. Just keep living. You're gonna come to this point, which is right where the Israelites are. They know this territory so well. Can you picture them coming up on the desert of Shur, S-H-U-R, that one desert that they began the journey on here, desert of Shur, and they know the Philistine way right there to the land of Canaan. And all of a sudden, God goes that way. And the, the blue, go over this. Can you picture the rebellion going on? I mean, Moses had his hand full before this moment. I can't even fathom what he and Aaron had to deal with now. Because everybody's an expert, an armchair navigational leader now. They're like, Moses, you're, you've, you've kind of lost it in your 80s here, guys. That's the route. We know that route well. We, we let our flocks that, go, let's go this way. Moses and Aaron had to hold on to what? No, we're gonna go God's way. How did they know what God's way was? Well, here's, here's how they knew. Verse 13, verse 20, excuse me. Verse, uh, this is 21 of Exodus 13. By day, the Lord led them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. By night, in a pillar of fire to give them light 
so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Wow, wouldn't that be amazing? So they literally had, I don't know exactly what it looks like, but I think the best thing you can call is, you know those low-hanging clouds you see at times on the horizon, especially in the springtime in Indiana when you see those low clouds roll in from the west? There was some type of strong cloud-like presence that they knew was God in the daytime that would stay or move and the people were to go where the cloud went. So if the cloud stopped, you stop. If the cloud goes, you go. If the cloud turns right, you turn right. Straightforward. Somebody's going, wow, I wish the Lord would lead me like that today. And then at night, you can't see the cloud as well, so God just ignited it on fire. So at night, there's this blazing, uh, just like a, a pillar of fire out in front of them. So the pillar of fire comes up to the edge of the desert of Shur, and the direct trade route to the Philistines is this way, and the pillar of fire turns this way. Anybody ever done this where you try to coach the pillar of fire to your route? I spend a lot of time praying, and my praying is like coaching. It doesn't work very well, by the way. I don't recommend this. But I try to coach God into joining my orange route ways. Anybody else done this? Because I'm convinced A to B, this is the route I got to go. I know the way well. I know we got to get there. It's the most efficient. It's the, it's the speediest. It's the direct route. Let's go. Pillar, come. Come, pillar. Come. If I just listen to myself pray, I got way too much of that going on. And God's looking for what? What's God looking for? Just, Simpson, just trust me. Turn right. That, Lord, nothing about that makes sense. <laughs> nothing about that makes sense. Moses has to get the people together. Hey, spiritual leadership 101 for the group here. Here's the deal, gang. I know you feel very strongly about your orange route. I know you got a PhD in Philistine way. But here's the covenant. Where the pillar goes, we go. And the pillar's going that way. So we're going that way. <laughs> now I'm picturing in the back of the pack, I'm picturing the meetings going on in the back of the pack. We got no record of it, but I can only imagine the number of splinter groups that decided to forge and go some type of Philistine way. We don't know, but I could picture there had to be a few renegades, mavericks, going, oh, those, those elderly leaders, they got, they got, we got this. We got this. So here's the first of three principles. We're just kind of, as we walk around this story, here, here's the first one I wrote down. Gang, God doesn't guarantee us the shortest route in our lives. He guarantees us his presence. And a marker of maturity is when that is enough. Are you with me? So I don't know about you, but I find it, much easier to cooperate with God's plan when it's in step with my preferences. When I, say, when I see the Philistine way and the pillars going the Philistine way, that's when I'm coming into the house of the Lord singing, how great is our God. Prayer is powerful. God is amazing. Why? Because it's all going according to my plans. I'm feeling great about that. There's nothing wrong with that. Hallelujah when it happens. I just want you to know I found that's very rare when that alignment happens. 
But when that alignment happens, that tends to be the kind of emotional reaction inside of us. We go, hey, this following Jesus thing, this is awesome, this ain't so bad. And then somewhere along the way, the pillar takes a right. The pillar of fire goes this way, and I'm convinced we need to go this way. Right there, whole lot of stuff surfaces in here. The temptation to have the sin of impatience to kind of take things into our own hands and do it our own way, to go orange line. We want to go orange line on the story. Here's the danger of going orange line on the story. By the way, God's given us a free will. You figure this out? You can go orange line with your life. You notice that? Some of you, some, we're really good at the orange line. We spend a lot of time on the orange line. We got a free will to go the orange line way. And then we find out there's some things missing on the orange line. Not that God's abandoned us, but there's some, there's some of that companionship realities on the blue line that aren't available to you on the orange line. God's like, hey, Simpson, you want to go your own way with that? Fine. Go remember the definition of this, your own way. If you want to handle that yourself, God's humble enough, gracious enough, and he says, go ahead. Go ahead, Simpson. Handle that the way you want to handle it. I'll be there on the backside of it to help you pick up the mess, whether it's you or a mess you're going to create around, whatever. But this is how God works with it. He doesn't, get, he doesn't abandon us on the orange line, but hear this now. There's something available on the blue line that's not on the orange line. And that's this pillar of fire, pillar of cloud. They're where? They're not on the orange line. They're only on the blue line. And perhaps some of the challenges, I know for me, that walking with a three-mile-an-hour God, whew, that's a lifelong journey of learning how to slow down to catch up with God. How to relinquish orange line temptations. Don't sin in impatience. Stop trying to coach God and coach the pillar. And just yield and surrender and trust. Saying, God, you're just so much better at guiding lives than I'll ever be. Even when it doesn't make sense. Have you found that God's ways, the scripture says God's ways are significantly higher in our ways. Isaiah 55, the definition of significantly higher, as the heavens are above the earth. Some researchers say 15.5 million miles. God's got 15.5 million <laughs> gap between your ways, Simpson. Which leads me to the second principle in this story I think is really important. When we're standing in the middle of those desert, blue line, orange line temptations is don't sin in the wilderness, you'll just be there longer. Now we're going to get into this more next week because the Israelites go down this desert road and as you saw in Deuteronomy 8, God was harvesting some things out of their hearts in that and they didn't handle their winding route always very well. They were sinning. I suspect God wouldn't had to have looped the story the way he looped it had they not had some self-inflicted wilderness time. Anybody found that? Like we can make some decisions on the story of our life that just extend our stay, maybe from two to three deserts to four or five deserts. I can look back at my life, I know exactly for sure. I just took things into my own hands, I decided I'm gonna go my own way, I'm gonna sin in this wilderness, because I'm convinced it's gonna be the shortest way out of it, and I find instead of the shortest way out, I simply extended it. Because God's way more patient than we'll ever be. 
In this case, it was 40 years for them. A 40-year, five, desert, long and winding way to develop their interior world to the point that when they arrive in the land of Canaan, they're the kind of people that God wants representing his name. See, God values being and becoming as much, if not more, than doing. So he's not just concerned about finding you a spouse. He's concerned about the kind of spouse you'll be when you find them. He's not just concerned with getting you to your new job. He's concerned with the kind of employee you'll be when you get there. He's not just concerned with you leading whatever ministry initiative and vision. He's concerned with the kind of person that'll be leading it. That kind of being and becoming work, gang, that's blue line stuff. Orange line doesn't work on the being and becoming. The orange line is just A, B. It's destination oriented. Blue line is A, long winding journey, B. Long winding journey is to test, to sift, to mature, to discipline, to harvest, to get half-hearted, to whole-hearted, to surrender, to yield. That's the vocabulary of the blue line. And that's what God's up to in all these long and winding journeys because we hit so many places in our lives, family stuff, career stuff, health stuff, ministry stuff. You just go, Lord, why does that have to be so long? Why so winding? Why so difficult? I sat with someone this past week, and that was the exact question. They said, Pastor, I just... I gotta just ask you straight up. And, the, and this person just unfolded the last 10 year run of their life and the core of it was, why does it have to be like that? It was as clear of a, I thought that's exactly what Moses and the Israelites were talking about in the middle of the desert. Why is it this way, that way? He was convinced orange line was exactly the way he needed to go and he's on this blue line and he doesn't see a way out. And he's wondering, where is God in all of this? And we just got to talk about the core of these things. He didn't guarantee us the shortest route, gang. Not one time did Jesus ever say, safety, comfort, convenience, efficiency, direct route. That's not the language of Jesus and following him in the kingdom. Nope. But he did guarantee he would be with us on the long and winding way. And the temptation we'll have to battle is don't, don't go sinning in the middle of that wilderness. Don't go, you know, go over here with the pillars, like surrender. It's like, don't sin out there because that, you're just going to loop around three desert, four desert, five desert. Just going to extend the stay. So they do. They follow the pillar. I'm reading between the lines. I think some bailed and went orange line and have a whole nother conversation they can have but a bulk of them went blue line and then watch what happens lest you think the blue line is going to be easy street when the king of this is chapter 14 verse 5 when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them hmm, and said what have we done we've let the Israelites go and have lost their services so he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots with them. So here's the deal. Pharaoh decides, remember, 10 rounds of plagues he pries open and releases. It's like, nope, change my mind. 
That was about 24 hours or so, but at least, go get him, because he lost his labor force, 600,000 or so men, go get him. So here the Israelites are, they're just maybe struggling a bit, but they're following the pillar of cloud by day. They're following the pillar of fire by night, and it's turning over towards the Red Sea, which they recognize, that kind of looks like a dead end street. And then on the horizon, they hear, boom, boom, boom. They're like, what's that? ground starts to shake. They know all about those Egyptian chariots. They're unbelievable. It said the, the kind of machinery that they were for that era was unbelievable how they were. They knew the sound of those well. And they hear the rumbles of the horses and they hear the wheels of the chariots and they know the Egyptian army's coming and they're not coming to like celebrate and welcome them on their exit. So they're looking at one end, an uncrossable body of water and on the other end a fired up angry Pharaoh and his Egyptian force, and right in the middle of it, pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, and 80-year-old Moses and 83-year-old Aaron, follow the Lord. How's that going to go? Well, let's check it out here. Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, (laughs) and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, that's an understatement, and cried out to the Lord. That would be motivation to pray. If they were struggling to pray before then, they're praying hard now, right? Sometimes life circumstances, we're in the prayer room because circumstances drive us to the prayer room, right here. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Huh, you think there's some things God needed to work out on the blue line? You see what would have represented him on the orange line? If they went orange line way, they would have got to the land of Canaan and that would have been in their heart. And God's like, I gotta get that burned out of the heart. I gotta melt that away, I gotta form that, I gotta shape that, I gotta do some things with that, blue line. I gotta go five deserts, I gotta go a winding route, I gotta make it long, it's gonna be difficult, why? Because just like he said back in chapter 13, when circumstances get a little out of line, they're gonna bail and wanna go back. Isn't it amazing how we edit history in our minds? I'm amazed at how I do this. Has anybody else found this? I can come from an absolutely disastrous set of circumstances. God brings me through it, I rejoice in it, I'm so grateful for what he learned and taught me in it, and then, A year or two removed from that, I've got a completely edited version of the train wreck of all that was. I somehow, like the Israelites, they want to go back. Are you kidding me? They want to go back to Egypt where they were slaves. We want to go back to the very places God set us free from. What is that about our human condition? That's a disaster. But it's so like us. From the very places God sets us free, we get removed from them, and not too long after it, we got a little different view of that. And sometimes circumstances get all messy out here again, and then we want to go back. That's why he's got us on the blue line. Because he he loves us enough to know, hey, Simpson, you go orange line route, you're going to be going back to Egypt. So come with me in the blue line. I know it's long. I know it's winding. I know it's hard. I know it's dry. I know it's difficult but we're gonna accomplish a whole lot more and you're gonna get to the land of Canaan, I promise you, not on your time frame, for sure. It's gonna be God's speed, 
three-mile-an-hour God. Slow down and catch up with me, and it's going to take a ton of two-o'clock-in-the-morning courage. You with me? Well, that's where they are, 2 a.m. courage right now. See how that's going? They're ready to bail. Moses, verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Here's his two o'clock in the morning courage. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Whoa, that's a blue line promise, gang. You don't get that promise on the orange line. So a lot of times we want God to fight our battles. Lord, come to my defense, come to my aid, fight my battles. Here's the challenge. That absolutely he will. This story is a great picture of God coming to our aid and fighting our battles. That's the third principle I wrote out from the story in my notes. The Lord is much better at fighting our battles than we are. He's way better at it. But here's the challenge. We gotta be living in such a way that he can defend. You want God to be your defender. I want God to be my defender. I can't be going orange line on the story and expecting God to defend me. God's not going to defend you on the orange line. He's going to work with you in your heart to get you on the blue line. You with me? So when you're on the blue line and it's difficult and the pillar turns left and it turns right and you're going from third desert to fourth desert to fifth desert and you're crying out to God, here's what you can rest in. He will come to your aid. He will fight your battles. He will be your defender. It will not be easy, but he will come through. That's where you're at here. He's going to come through. Absolutely no way the Israelites thought this was going to be how they're going to exit. If you thought Moses and Aaron had their hands full on the front end of the journey, how about when they're walking towards the Red Sea and it's a dead end? And the pillar's going straight to a dead end street, the Red Sea. And then they hear the Egyptians coming over the horizon and the pillar's still right there at the Red Sea. That's the ingredients for rebellion. That's when they say, we're done. We're, we're going to bail. We're going to go back. And the, Moses, 2 o'clock in the morning, hey, stand still. Relax. God's got this. And right here, he's going to harvest some things out of their heart. He's going to get to some places the orange line never would. Verse 19 and following, the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind them. So they're... You see that? So they got, they're kind of bookended now. God's like, I got this. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went, the, uh, so neither went near the other all night long. Only God could do that. Are you kidding me? Egyptians think they're just going to go take them out right there. They're like, oh, these guys are cornered. Bunch of slaves. They don't know what they're doing. We got these guys. And then boom. Somebody else is fighting on their behalf. Pharaoh's learning again. He's like, oh boy, this Yahweh figure they keep talking about? Remember the one he said, hey, have him bless me too? He's finding out. He's like, oh, pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, won't let him get any closer. God's fighting their battles for them. Verse 21, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned into dry land. The waters were divided. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. And then you know the rest of the scene here, what happens, right? So they go through on dry ground, and then the Egyptians try to follow, and then the water caves in on them, and all the Egyptians are swept away. The scripture says not one of them survived. So the Israelites are safe on the other side of the Red Sea on dry land. The Egyptians have been swept away in the middle of the water, and God stands and says, I will be your defender. 
I will fight your battles. Trust in me. Pillar of fire, pillar of cloud. When it moves, you move. When it stays, you stays. When it turns, you turn. This is how it's summarized, verse 31, last verse of chapter 14. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. To which Moses probably went to bed that night and said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. At least tomorrow he might have just a a little more cooperative crowd around him. But as we'll see in the weeks ahead, they struggle again. But I'm guessing he had a day or two where there was just a tremendous amount of, hey, we're all in with the pillar now, Moses. Sorry, we're, <laughs> sorry we were struggling back there. But hey, after yesterday, we're staying with the pillar. Where it goes, we go. You see that? They put their trust. What's God after on the blue line? Trust me. Trust me. I know you don't understand this. Trust me. I will guide you. I'll direct you. I'll lead you. It's gonna be the long way. It's gonna be the winding way. Probably gonna be a lot more difficult. It's gonna be three mile an hour. It's gonna be God's speed. But we'll get you from point A to B. And if you will trust me, when we get to B, you will be the kind of person I've called and created you to become when you get there. Because gang, at the end of this run, that's what we're gonna stand before God and offer. We're not gonna offer our accomplishments, we're not gonna offer a resume of achievements, we're not gonna offer 401Ks and bank accounts, we're gonna offer the kind of person we've become. That's what we're gonna offer to him at the end of this run. So he says, yes, Simpson, that's why the blue line is a much more accurate representation of life with God. Next verse in the story, this is what they did. Then Moses and the Israelites, Exodus 15, sang a song to the Lord. <laughs> Whoo, I bet the worship rally that day, I don't think they had a hard time gathering in the sanctuary after the Red Sea parted, right? Strike up the band, fill up the choir, let's go sing. And they write a song, and we'll get into this in the weeks ahead, but they write a song, and here's a picture. Right? Worship then, when God comes through in ways like we just read in Exodus 14, you know the appropriate response from us as a people is worship. You acknowledge that the Lord was your defender. You acknowledge that God came through. You acknowledge he orchestrated a breakthrough. You acknowledge you went from glips, descent, 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 breakthrough came, God delivered. He, he did something you couldn't have imagined. You acknowledge it by how? You worship. You put the songwriters together and you put some lyrics together and you strike up the band in such a way and you lift up your voice and you lift up your heart and say there is no one like our God. Worship is the rightful response to the parting of Red Sea moments. Worship is the rhythm God's looking for in the blue line, by the way. He's looking for them to trust him and worship him when the pillar turns the way they want it to turn and when it doesn't. They're looking for him to worship him and trust him and surrender and obey no matter what part of the journey they're in. Because when they get to the land of Canaan, what does God want to make sure happens? They worship him. They trust him. They surrender to him. They obey him. They represent him. He's going to get them to Canaan. But clearly in this story, he's got to work some stuff out. And I think that's the commentary for you and I. God's way is the long and winding way. And he guarantees us his presence not the shortest route. 
And we'll have to work through resisting the temptation to sin in the wilderness because we'll just extend the stay. We'll make that route loop around some more. And he will fight some battles for us on that blue line that will be in the category of breathtaking. He will hear our cries and he will come through, most likely not in our timetable, but in a way where he will get the glory that is due his name. Worship team, why don't you come back up here? We're gonna wrap this up by, I wanna take just a couple of minutes and team's just gonna play lightly, intro to this closing song. And I just wanna pray for those of you. Ted, can you put up the uh, orange line, blue line slide again? I wanna pray for those of you who feel like in some way, shape, or form, you're in the middle of your blue line journey. And I just wanna invite you to stand to acknowledge that you're somewhere on the blue line and you might be going through your own and kind of a personal struggle with it and you just feel like, hey, today was a day where the Lord is speaking some things of clarity into what he's asking of you on the blue line and I just wanna pray for you. So just stand right where you're at. If you feel like today, this was a day for some clarity from God on blue line realities. I want to encourage those of you standing to go ahead and look around so you see you're not alone, gang. Right? Not alone. The Lord is with you. And we as a body are with you. So I'm going to pray, and let's make sure no one's standing by themselves. So if you're near someone who's standing by themselves, could you just stand up beside them and put your arm on their shoulder? Make sure no one's standing alone, just to represent, hey, we're with you in this. Father, you see your people, each of us in our own blue line realities, some struggling in some really difficult places, wondering why and how long and what about, and if only. And I just pray you would give each of us standing right here the gift of surrender and trust. Would you give us the eye of faith to see through this long winding journey, lift our eyes up to see you pillar of fire, pillar of cloud. Thank you that what the Israelites had is an external reality with the fire and the cloud. You said by the Holy Spirit, you'll come to live within us. We can trust the pillar of fire, pillar of cloud in our heart. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Lead and guide our steps. Hear our cries for help. Minister strength. Give us two o'clock in the morning courage. Help us to be faithful and steadfast and immovable on the long and winding way. Thank you for stories like this that remind us you promise to be with us. Guard our hearts from sinning and impatience, from taking a whole bunch of stuff into our own hands and going the orange line with stuff. Protect us, guard us, Lord. We just confess that as sin. Have mercy on us. We just loosen the grip. We take our hands off the wheel now. 
pray you'd come and fight some battles for us, part some seas. There's some people standing looking at an uncrossable body of water, having no idea how they're going to make it through what they're going through right now in Jesus' name. May they hear what Moses said to the people, stand firm, stand still, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. Come through for us in ways that at the end of it, we'd say, only God, only God. We love you, we worship you, we trust you. We pray you'd harvest out these being and becoming realities. In Jesus' holy name.